Hi, this is Esther, and you're listening to the Sometimes Always Book Club. We are reading Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. This is Chapter 11. Look on my works, ye mighty. back with chapter 11. I am here with <laughs> Andrew. What? <laughs> you sound surprised that it's you. <laughs> ah, it's me. <laughs> and Bob. Hi, it is me. And present Katie. Hi. <laughs> That's what Bob did. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach. It's not me. Oh. I'm an imposter. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have our special guest, Kermit the Frog, here? Maybe, maybe, Miss Piggy. We're at chapter 11. Look on my work, see mighty. In this chapter, Dan and Rorschach arrive at Karnak. Tales of the Black Freighter concludes, finally. Woo! Ozymandias... That's a sick joke, Esther. <laughs> that is a really sick joke. Is this like a, uh, a whole overlook, or are you flying through this thing? No, I'm going to do an overlook. Okay, because uh... I was like, holy shit, no, i got to no, no. keep up here. Ozymandias <laughs> dismisses his servants, the news vendor and the kid finally exists. <laughs> This is my recap, and then we'll get into this. Is the, the speed run. This, yeah, this is my yeah. speed run. Wow. it without us. Ozymandias dismisses his servants. The news vendor and the kid finally exchange pleasantries, and the people of New York get a shock. Oh. <laughs> the opening image is of a butterfly and flowers barely visible through a layer of snow. That is a beautiful opening, though. It's a mm-hmm. really awesome. Stark. It's shaped like the blood splatter. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Adrian Veidt is watching Rorschach and Dan approaching Karnak on the hover bikes. Which must have been hilarious. <laughs> I'm just picturing them making like this wee kind of sound. I imagine it's about as fast as like a rascal scooter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, see, I'm hearing more like... <laughs> Some real duck dodger shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the old speed buggy. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Some Johnny Quest. <laughs> Out in the Antarctic cold, negative 40, Dan and Rorschach discuss Adrian and whether or not he's gone crazy. And Rorschach fucking litters the asshole. Yeah, he does. Drops a sugar cube wrapper. Uh, I want to go back to uh, the cat here, uh, Boobastic or Bombastic. Bubastus. Mr. Bombastic. Mr. Bombastic. Whatever he's saying, hoof. Hoof. (laughs) Is he French? He's like a. um, (laughs) I'll look up some lynx noises so we can see how accurate it is. It's not a real lynx, though. It's a fake lynx. It's not real. It's a French lynx, apparently. (laughs) It's a 3D printed lynx. (laughs) At Karnak. Vite invites. <laughs> Vite invites his three servants to have a drink with him in the vivarium. <laughs> I'm in- not jealous of you having to say that sentence. <laughs> in New York, the news vendor talks to his regulars. 
What is happening? <laughs> oh, oh, that's, that's the a lynx. lynx. It sounds like me. Are you like sure that's not the cast of It's Always Are Sunny you in Philadelphia <laughs> making just Wait, animal me, sounds? Are you showing porn? <laughs> that could have been somebody voicing over. Oh, yeah, it is my <laughs> anniversary, so that's me later. Poor Archie. <laughs> they really just sound like it people sounds, yelling. You, you it just sounds like nightmares. It you sounds were... like people cosplaying as. Like... <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like a voiceover. But it's like, it is. No, it's, por- like, it's porn, ah. and you know it. Stop. Just stop. It's time to bring stuff. up uh, that turtle humping a shoe. Either way, I don't think any of that sounded like hoof. <laughs> no, that's true. So the servants join Vite in the vivarium. He serves them wine and then really monologues for a really long time. Yo, I'm rich. Let's go. Let's partay. There, there is this important detail where uh, Vite is looking over some kind of button and he looks into a room. We can't see exactly what's in there. And he presses it and then walks away. Yes. That something has happened. Yeah, there's been 25 p.m. He monologues about his childhood, his intellect. Wait. What time zone would that be on the in Antarctica? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm assuming. All of them. I don't know. It it's, says Eastern oh, Standard Time above thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, wow. How do time zones work in the Southern Hemisphere? They don't. They're frozen. <laughs> they I think no I see Antarctica. Like a, a zigzaggy kind of stripe. See, all the I way see. Down. It, I see it as like segments of an orange. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I see. So but... if you're in Antarctica, you can like walk and change your time. Just walk in a circle, and you can be at every time. <laughs> it's always five o'clock. Yes. <laughs> That's how Superman did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just went to the pole and jogged in a little circle for a little while. <laughs> I'll save you, Lois Lane. <laughs> this is relevant because it's DC comic. <laughs> in New York. Joey and her ex-girlfriend try to talk about their failing relationship, but Joey breaks down in anger and frustration at what she wants and who she is. And and we've kind of like seen her a few times talk to the news vendor and talk about a little bit about her relationship sort of a couple times and now we get to see her actually with her girlfriend and the fact that they're breaking up and it's actually kind of a sad it's heartbreaking scene. Well, I shouldn't say kind of. It's a very sad scene, and um, it's it's very realistic in some ways too because it's just such a weird fight. And I don't know. It it breaks my. I don't know what it is about that scene, but it just sticks with me. And the first time I read it, I thought about it, and it continues. Obviously, it becomes more important as it goes on. What's What's really weird is that like this scene. I didn't even like when I reread this. Just I I think I was finishing this up like super late last night, and I was just like. Man, I don't remember any of this from like the times I've read this. And I'm just like, how did I not remember this? This is like so fucking good. Yeah, this is like like as I'm reading, I'm just like, wow. Like it is it really is just like heartbreaking to see like, oh yeah, I did your stupid thing. And it's like her not top girlfriend really fucking cares. And like it's like outreaching and she's like there's even a line where it's like it's like you know i don't like that term we we should respect gay professionals working openly and she wants to make these changes she's like okay with her identity and obviously joey isn't it's very timely too yeah it's very it seems very modern yeah i I the conversation that they have yeah i couldn't even believe this is from like 1985 when i read this was like Oh shit! Like this is really like like very progressive in a way. I yeah. Guess. But like yeah. But yeah, and Joey is not you know really comfortable with who she is and not really I don't know hasn't really found 
her identity, I guess, in some ways. It's it's very sad. Well, and I really appreciated it because it adds a lot to the story, but it's not necessarily a detail that needed to be closed up to complete the story, but I felt like it still added a lot. And so I thought that that was really creative and awesome for them to add that in when they're trying to close all their other loose ends Mm -hmm. from the story. Yeah. And I like that we, and I think it's important for the end that we get to know these people and we see these people because they're kind of regulars with some of the other people too, regulars at the newsstand. And we kind of go through their ups and downs with them as the story progresses from the beginning. And so it is important that we know who they are when for when we get to the last chapter, especially. Looking at things from the micro perspective to kind of get an appreciation of how the macro affects everything. Yeah, especially where we're headed to. This really does, I think I wrote it down in my notes somewhere for like next chapter, but it was like, it really focuses in and these. this is all the people in their lives and like the way they've lived this entire book just the small snapshot we've had not not the 30 or 50 years they've existed it's like this is just like a couple of weeks maybe Mm -hmm. that we've seen but we've grown to know these people and adrian's thoughts about humanity and like all that aside you know he just sees like this humanity is doomed we're all fucked and i have to do something about this and well no we're even at a base level even at this like base human level of course we fuck up and we fuck each other over and we screw up and we make mistakes and hurt each other but you know you see the news vendor you know give that boy his cap and you you see the the doctor later on i guess yeah this is a little spoilery but you're not quite there but he jumps in to help you know all this stuff and you see the goodness that humanity has in this moment that's one thing i really like about this chapter is when we get to see all that stuff Mm -hmm. i like how too with these characters culminating like this since there were the seeds planted and the tendrils throughout the entire story with just tiny little drops here and there and they grow with the story and grow on you 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 begin to recognize them and they like you said even though they're kind of a side or a backstory they are important they become that that structure that this is all built around yeah back at karnak Vite goes on and on about retracing Alexander the Great's steps and learning from the ancient Egyptians. One thing he learned was that they entrusted their secrets to their servants who were then buried alive with them. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, Form of dismissal. <laughs> yes. We see now that the servants are all dead. Poison, one of the guys, like, in, like, three panels doesn't move at all. And then in the last yeah. panel we see him, he has a butterfly on his face. Yeah. I don't think they were poisoned. I think they died of boredom. <laughs> I mean, he's been monologuing for like eight weeks now. Listen to me. And I'm he's very important. He's really sad about how boring he is. He's like, I just wanted to tell these guys, my close buddies, these all these important things to me. And God damn it, I killed him with my boringness. <laughs> the real victim in all of this. Even his naked story about being drugged out in the desert. Uh, um... Which is a goal of mine. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just want to get lit as shit on mushrooms and go out into the desert. I like that panel too because it looks like his shirt is just floating. I know that he's thrown <laughs> it off. It looks like them. he threw off a wig too. Like all the way around his way. <laughs> just like, like wig off. Just... Oh. I really like the butterflies role in these scenes too. Yes. It's like floating around and you're like, oh, Oh, man, those guys are really serious. They're just looking straightforward. And then the butterfly lands on the glass and then it lands on his face. And you're like, oh, 
they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love that the drug he was on was just what is it? He said hashish, right? Yeah. Yeah. He just he just smoked some weed and went to the like like what a lame-o. I bet you got it fucking thirty dollars a gram, like some <laughs> frat boy. <laughs> guys, I'm so high. Dude, guys, I swear, dude, this stuff. Oh, it's the gas. Remember, everybody, don't do drugs. Yeah, drugs are for lamos. Zach just wants to be lame in it the desert. It didn't work out for yeah. Ozzy or Ozzy Mendez. That's oh. true. Oh, that one's a little dark. <laughs> that one's a little dark. So with the servants dead, he opens the vivarium to the elements of Antarctica and allows the snow to pour in and destroy everything, which really bums me out because aside there's from... flowers. There's flowers mm-hmm. and animals. There's birds and stuff in there. It's. I love the first three panels. and it, uh, Tell me I'm the only one that's that's hearing, feed me, Seam. That is a daffodil. <laughs> Look at the mouth on it. Yeah. Yeah. It is just waiting to fucking drink got, your blood. It's got them DSLs. Uh huh. Okay, you stay away from the fucking plants. <laughs> I'm sorry. My mom doesn't like me going near the garden anymore. No, that's a cactus. <laughs> it's not anal beads. <laughs> the last three panels of this section are of one of the servants being buried in the snow, which I really like the imagery there. It's creepy. Well, then it's also a nice transition, though. And then it's a great transition to a body floating in the water in the pages from Tales of the Black Freighter. Of a mm-hmm. face looking up out of the water. It's a very cool transition. What is Adrian Veidt's endgame by that? Like, what? what's the purpose? Why did he kill yeah. him? Because like, they knew the secrets. He was tying up loose ends yep. and burying okay. his and servants with his secrets, basically. Like, like a pharaoh burying his servants in well, a tomb. But also, like, he put that ecosystem there. That's not how Antarctica is supposed to be anyway. So know, it's just think, going back to nature. Think about the games. Those birds weren't alive before he was there. Also, they're fictional. <laughs> <laughs> Says the girl that cried about her Two snakes. snakes. Yeah. Two snakes. <laughs> you, yeah, you did cry about how dream snakes. So <laughs> shut up. Guys, don't bring it up. You can't play it being heartless now, Katie. <laughs> Pick a lane. Fictional, <laughs> but my two snakes are real. We, <laughs> for real for a moment, they were. Can't you just enjoy it for what it is? Why do you have to analyze it? <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you just let people enjoy it? I am enjoying it. Fuck you. <laughs> okay. In New York, Gloria, Malcolm Long's wife, inquires at the newsstand to see if he's been there recently. She then sees him on the street and goes to him. Rorschach and Dan at Karnak. Sorry, this chapter jumps around, so I got to jump around with it. Rorschach and Dan find a way into Karnak and go inside. I love Dan's outfit. Yes, I love Dan. I love all of his outfits. Yeah, I put that in here. Rorschach is only in a trench coat, while Dan has a super warm winter costume. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Get fucked, Rorschach. And it's like a different kind of owl. It's like a snowy owl now, and it's cute. It's super cute. It's in the, the superhero handbook. You have to do that. Rorschach yeah. didn't get the handbook. He burned that fucking handbook. He's, he doesn't play by anybody's rules. They're going through the ice level of this video game. That's right. Oh, shit. <laughs> At least it is in the water level. They make their way through the building until they find Vite eating dinner at a massive table. They try to sneak up on him, but he sees them reflected in the bowl and attacks them first, which is fucking badass. It's like, how do you make the world's smartest man like an intimidating superhero? Because you never had seen any instances of him kicking ass before. And now it's like, oh, here it is. He's just going to use the environment to his advantage. Yeah. Yeah, you've only ever seen him do like gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Well, you like, did beat you up some... that assassin, but yeah, that, yeah, that was kind yeah, of a rigged yeah. contest. I was going to say, for, yeah, for these two guys, don't drink the wine and keep his hands away from your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Dan confronts Adrian, asking him what he's doing. And Adrian monologues again, 
this time while beating up Rorschach about the hollowness of adventuring and the mistakes he made in the past when it came to fighting crime effectively. I can't believe you skipped over, A, the uh, discus to the face. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and B, how... Um, it's a lid. Whatever. Mm. He used discus-like movement. Yeah, there okay, fine. But also how Dan tried to attack him with a laser pointer. Because apparently Adrian is a cat. And Dan is a fucking nerd. <laughs> he was reaching for his pen, but his laser pointed <laughs> in his pocket. Oh, no. Oh, no. I just want to point out that you got a little something on your chest right there. Ow! <laughs> Why? Also, I love how there is no words for like a pa- like two whole pages almost, like a page and a half. And it does such a good job of telling exactly what happens, especially going through like the, the notes in the back when I was done with it. It's just, oh, wow, they were so fucking meticulous. This is just so well done. Like it told you everything you needed to know mm-hmm. without any words. I love that. There's a lot of sections like that that tell the story really well without words and really convey action and feeling through color. And it's very cinematic and very effective. I was kind of left with one question, though, while reading through this, which was, why does he have such a long table for no one else to sit at that's He might there? have company sometimes. His servants. I know he has John and Lori there as guests, oh, like, yeah, early, early on when everybody is still oh, okay. okay. I was I was just thinking there's not a lot of times that people will visit Ant Freak Antarctica, but also he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would be like, Hey, servants, sit with me and eat while I eat. You know, he seems kind of bored. <laughs> he absolutely would. He'd be like, you come and eat while I tell you my master plan. I have to say, though, after the whole fight scene, I love the very end, down at the end of page 17 there, where he's like, now what can I do for you? And the both of them are kneeling to him. Yeah, that's that's an awesome panel. I like, after that, though, Rorschach is still trying to pull the thing out of his jacket so that way he can <laughs> attack him again. Yeah. In New York, Gloria finds Malcolm and they talk. She wants him to come home if he stops allowing his work to interfere with their lives. Nearby, Joey and her girlfriend get into an argument and start fighting on the street. Malcolm goes to help them and his wife gets angry, saying if he chooses to get involved with someone else's issue, she will not come home. And he tells her he has no choice. Also, what the hell is up with that Tron-looking helmet that he wears? I think it's a hat. It looks like straight up just Jeff Bridges Tron. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like it is hockey. I'm I'm, I'm here for that. I'm, no, it yeah. does look like he's ready to go. Gloves off. Just straight it does look like a weird helmet, but I think it's supposed to be a hat. I think so. Back at Karnak, Adrian discusses when he realized how fragile the world is and how easily it could be destroyed. He mentions the current threat and how both sides know nuclear war would destroy everyone, but they keep pushing forward in fear that the other side will get ahead. He says he's been planning his move for many years now. Back in New York, the news vendor and the kid sit at the newsstand, and the kid finally finishes Tales of the Black Freighter. And we should discuss its entirety. Well, quickly, yes. All right. I swear, it's going to be so fast. He's stuck on an island. He's got a bunch of dead people with him. He digs them up. He makes a raft. And then the sharks eat the raft. And then he lands on the shore. He thinks that all the people around him that he loves are dead because of the other 
boat that was coming there. And then he sees some people on two horses, two people on a horse or two horses or <laughs> two horses on two, two people. Yes. <laughs> two horses, one and, horse on um, one person and person on a horse. He figures they're bad guys because the ship got there. So he kills them and he takes the guy's outfit and then he goes into town to murder the people that murdered his family. And he starts to do that. And then he's like, oh, shit, you guys are alive and I'm a bad person. Yeah, it's his own. Oh, and then the ship comes in. Yeah, and the ship comes in and he <laughs> swims out to it and a rope comes down and pulls him up and the people on the ship cheer as he's pulled up to join them. So He also killed the shark. I think that that was pretty badass. Yes, he did kill the shark, too. Just got back. Did I miss anything? <laughs> Happy ending. So it's, it can be seen as an analogy to Adrian Veidt's story, eventually. An abominable act performed for the greater good. I know a lot of people don't like Tales of the Black Freighter, but I think Watchmen wouldn't be Watchmen without it. It's symbolic. I think it would. They could have <laughs> put something else in its place and it still would have worked. It re- well, yeah. It reminds me of like a episode of The Twilight Zone, just the way... It, do you know what I mean? Just with yeah. that kind it of... It feels very M. Night shyamalan Yeah. 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 As I was going through it the first time, as those sections came up, I did find myself going, oh, uh. fuck, we're back to this again. There were moments, obviously, being a, a horror fan that I was like, oh, that's kind of, you know, the raft of dead people. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. Whatever. <laughs> but I did find myself kind of dreading those sections until the end. I did feel the payoff was, was worth oh, it. Just, so worth just it. within the story, not even like the whole, you know, how it ties into Watchmen, just the story itself. I was like, oh, okay, that, that was worth I, it. I agree. I kind of, I wouldn't say came around to it, but I was more engaged with the last sections of that story. I actually bothered to like kind of under- read and understand what was happening in it. As far as like the overall thematic connections back to Vite, I'm relying on this podcast to kind of bring that to life for me, if I'm being honest. So thank y'all. I I like the story. I'm not sure I like the format that it was in. In some spots it really worked, in other spots it's like, okay, I see what you're doing. Just yeah. give me the whole page and then see page 34 to relate to this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I can do it on my own time and have the whole full story in front well, of me. A little insert. Yeah. It really helps with the pacing for me. Going back to this news vendor guy is almost completely key to ground ourselves as the, like, the reader. Because mm-hmm. like, we're out you know smashing dudes hands with glasses and breaking fingers and flying in fucking Archie and Nike on Mars fucking whatever but (laughs) but this news vendor is kind of like the moment like it's where we get to get grounded and (laughs) is where you get to be grounded and like kind of see the like the normal the normies Mm -hmm. and Black Freighter kind of is an excuse for us to be there but like and kind of stick around but it's also kind of a way for us to kind of see what's happening outside of like what these heroes are doing i guess yeah we're seeing just like what's going on in the regular world people going about their day yeah i think it also helped me see the parallels and try and get more of what they're trying to tell you about the characters and what they're feeling and i think if it hadn't been interspersed throughout i would have missed some of that Mm -hmm. on the first read Mm -hmm. at the newsstand the news vendor asked the kid's name finally and is surprised to find out that they share a first name. And a hat now. And a hat, yes. Bernard is the news vendor, and the kid goes by Bernie. He's also kind of a little shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't fucking care what your name is. It's like, come on, man. Like, this book was stupid. Yeah. I hate this book. I hate you. I hate everything. He hates everything, but he's there every damn day reading the same book. <clears throat> Whatever. Actions speak louder than words. That's true. 
So, yeah. I always have to go through, like, oh, you're a Katie? Are you a Catherine? Are you a Caitlin? Are you... I get that, too. Oh, yeah. my, you know, my husband is Bob. My brother's Bob. My, and I always say, yeah, there's a few of us about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Katie. I, I believe you're, like, one of... I'm not kidding. Probably like 12 Katie's that I know. I like most of the Katie's I know. I was about to say, tell I, us about the ones you don't like. <laughs> yeah, tell me every bad Katie you've met in your life. Well, my nickname was Bad Katie. Tales say, of Esther the Bad Katie. I talk about names we don't like all the time, so <laughs> that's that'll be a future episode for sure. <laughs> Esther, how many Esters do you yeah. know? <laughs> Two. Two. Young Bernie. I was say, I know sorry, three. three. Now. So Young Bernie is kind of a little shit. Was my point. Meanwhile, the surrounding people take notice of Joey and her girlfriend's fight and try to intervene. And like we talked about before, I like this part because the good in the people is shown. The detective is not on duty and he wants to intervene and help. The doctor wants to help even though his wife is getting mad at him about it. Yeah, the guys from the taxi garage. Yep, the guys from the taxi garage see it happening and want to go over and help. I love that line. I, I'm still me, Joe. Pull over. Like, <laughs> like I am still who I am. I need mm. to go help this person. And- yeah. So I, I like that, that we get to see the good in people and we get to see kind of this community thing, even though it's New York City. I was about to say, like, I think that that's important for the themes of the story. I feel <laughs> like maybe it would have made slightly more sense if it was a different city. I feel like small, I feel like neighborhoods in New York can be like yeah. that. Yeah. I guess that's mm-hmm. fair. Yeah, yeah. a lot of like neighborhood solidarity. There. Yeah. Well, and and, and I'm not going to pretend that I understood the whole of New York the couple days I was there. And had, <laughs> I'm basically a native and, now. And had <laughs> nobody pay attention to anything. It was, it was really uh, interesting to see how much people could be in their own worlds and within that environment. But yes, that. I guess that's true that their neighborhoods can form even in cities. Yeah. So just there's yeah. a sense of community there as well. When I was in a big city, <laughs> I kind of noticed people kind of build their own community, their own small town within it. That's kind of what this is here, I guess. Yeah, I think so too. And and But I, I like that it shows the good in people and it just reminds us that these are individual people with their own lives happening and th- but they're still kind of looking out for each other. Well, and I think it's maybe a callback to the part of Rorschach's story where he's talking about the woman that was murdered and a bunch of people witnessed yeah. it and didn't yeah. comment yeah. on it. Yes. It's showing that, that people too. do care and will intervene Good to try and help back. people. That's awesome. Yeah. Maybe humanity is not irredeemable. <laughs> maybe. At this, and we notice that at this exact moment. That is mm. that is the perfect yeah. moment where everything will work out just fine. So back at Karnak, Adrian talks about how he systematically removed each opponent who might stand in his way. He employed people close to John and literally gave them cancer by exposing them to radiation. He made sure Rorschach was caught and arrested and faked an assassination attempt on himself to throw off any suspicion, then overpowered the assassin and killed him, making it look like a suicide. And when Bob and I were talking about it a couple weeks ago, the scene where he shoves this, the pill into the assassin's mouth, and we don't know that's happening until later, but the look on the guy's face yeah. is heartbreaking, even though he's a murderer. I yeah. feel really bad for yeah, him. Every time, after the first time I read this, I, I always, every time I read it, I see that dude's face, I'm always like, oh, he didn't know. <laughs> no, he didn't know. No. So bad. Which goes back to the brilliance of the artistry, too. I mean, yes. just mm-hmm. convey that. I feel like at some point maybe we should do like 
top five things, ignoring the number one spot of worst <laughs> things that uh, Ozymandias has done. Because <laughs> there are so many bad things. There's a lot of bad There's stuff. There's so many. I feel like one, it's, I feel like one's it's, not arguable. <laughs> I, I feel like it's going to be like that scene on the Goonies where he starts listing off all the things he did, mm. you know, while they're going to put his hand in the blender. <laughs> That's good. Ozymandias, or sorry, I should say Adrian. He's not really Ozymandias when he did this. Is he, I, is he? I don't know. Is Adrian <laughs> experimented with genetics and researched teleportation, then retired while still in good favor with the public. Genetics yielded him bubastus, while teleportation research only proved that when sent by teleportation, without John's guiding mind, because he was sort of the inspiration for that, regular life forms die of shock or materialize in occupied space and explode. Edward Blake discovered the island Adrian had bought for this research and investigated it to find something that broke him. Adrian had planned a hoax to shock the public into uniting against a bigger threat. And now we finally learn about what his plan is, which is a giant genetically engineered squid that uses the brain of a psychic. And it will be teleported to New York, where it will explode and die of shock on arrival. Its brain creating a massive shock wave that will kill half the city. I just want to say here, the very first time I read this, I didn't really know what to make of that. I kind of thought that that was really stupid at first. <laughs> well, when you when you lay it out the way you just described it, uh, yeah. But okay, well, I'll get to my my other thoughts on that in a minute. But yes, it sounds completely ridiculous when you first... Yeah, when you lay it out like that, just in fact, it sounds terrible. Which is the brilliant of it, because nobody would believe that any idiot could come up with that shit. That's so stupid. (laughs) That is real Batman comic book villain dumb shit. Yes. Almost plausible, though. Like, yeah. I feel like it could happen. It's <laughs> crazy enough to work. And by God. He confesses to killing the comedian because he knew too much. And there's this awesome panel on page 26 of this chapter that shows Adrian, the only time we see him like this, bloody and about to throw Edward Blake out of the window. And it's really the only time we see him looking truly terrifying. Mm-hmm. Just that Kind of looks mind. like Michael Myers. Meanwhile, Dan yeah. kind of looks like a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Way to break the tension. Page 26 for those at home. For those reading along. Dan thinks this idea is completely ridiculous and impossible. Hot dog Dan. Hot dog Dan worries about this. <laughs> hot dog Dan. <laughs> Holy shit. Forget Night Owl. That's what he was supposed to be all along. So Dan thinks this idea is ridiculous and impossible and worries about Adrian's sanity. And he asks Adrian when this is supposed to happen. And Adrian, in a very smug way, says, (laughs) I did it 35 minutes ago. The clock behind him is also midnight, which is 35 minutes past when he hit the button. Man, that would have been embarrassing. He's like, I did it 35 minutes ago. And then he like, looks at the clock. I mean, 34 minutes 37 ago. 37 minutes ago now. It was like 29 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> the last page yeah. in this chapter. Holy wait, wait, wait. Shit. Before we do that, I just want to say, you see Hot Dog Dan in profile. It shows the clock. And then the clock <laughs> matches the moon. In yes. The yes. And I like that. Also, I it looks that. like his jacket has a lot of hot dogs on it. <laughs> 
I do like that transition. Not the, the hot, hot dog. Not the hot dog transition. Hot dog transition. I'm just imagining him rolling around on that little conveyor thing on, in the 7-Eleven. Fear me. I have a thin skin around me. <laughs> and then some harrowing shit. The last page of this chapter is fucking amazing, I think. Oh, yes. In a terrible oh, yeah. way. It, well, I just mean the art of it, the feeling of it, the look, especially the they very end of it. They got watches. They got the time thing. They got... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, Sorry. there's a lot. Yeah. There's the, the Rorschach or the, yeah, the yeah, ink blot test. And then the I, Black Freighter magazine is sticking out of the yep. corner. Yeah. So fallout sheltered mm-hmm. sign. And then the last So there's, yeah, we see all these and there's the people of New York reacting to something in terror. And I love the very last panels where Bernard, the news vendor, grabs the boy and holds him as the panels get lighter and lighter and lighter. And when you said this, this was like such a terrible ending, I'm not in a bad way, but I mean, you know, so heart wrenching Mm -hmm. and and all that uh, emotional. I really thought you meant like right here where they, they grab each other. And Bernie loses the hat. Oh, yes, he After does. all they've been through together. <laughs> he owned that hat for like 30 seconds. But that's like. what bonded them. <laughs> that and, and now they're literally fused. The final the final panel is the blood smear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's, Yeah, it's damn. the same shape. Yeah. I, it keeps, that yeah. shape keeps coming back. And it works. Nice. Per, yeah, it's awesome. Thank so, yeah, oh, I love that catch, last guys. series. I'll take my brownie later. The end quote is from the Ozymandias poem by Percy, how do you say that? Bish? Bish. Bish. <laughs> Percy Bish Shelley. Bish. I think Bishy. it's Bish. <laughs> Percy Shelley Bish. <laughs> my name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Well, right now I would like to present how pronounce this word. The word you see it sounds like bis. No, I don't think it does. does it like I don't think it does. Bish. I'm not convinced. No. You're, you're not winning me it's over here. Bitch. Yeah, I don't how many? That's how many likes? That's, that's all. That is all. Five thousand likes. That is. Don't do not like that video. That is. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Thumbs firmly down. In fact. Hard no. 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 Seriously, we're good. There's a big, big chunk of editing right there. <laughs> That's on the cutting room floor. So our interlude is after the masquerade, Superstyle and the art of humanoid watching. It's an interview with Adrian Veidt from 1975. We learned that the servants at Karnak are Vietnamese refugees. He retells the story of inheriting money from his parents and giving it all to charity so he could start again from nothing. He insists that anyone can be a superhero with discipline and faith. (laughs) (laughs) That's some bullshit. If you believe in yourself, you can be a superhero. It's like it's just like another line that keeps being repeated ad nauseum, even currently in our current era. You know, just like if you believe in yourself, pull pull yourself yourself up by bootstraps. Yeah, Yeah. pull yourself up by by your bootstraps. Bullshit. No, no. You guys are never gonna fly like Peter Pan. I have faith. I will. I, mean, I need. To. I don't have straps on my boots, so <laughs> I don't know what the fuck true. I'm gonna do. Faith, trust, and just a little bit of pixie dust, Esther. So I now mean, we're doing drugs. No, Hell yeah. Oh wait, no drugs are for. Were we supposed right. to be sober for this? Yeah. <laughs> is is Katie a Katie head on the drug Katie? <laughs> oh, oh shit! No. That's what you would say when you're on it. <laughs> he discusses his retirement <laughs> and how being a superhero in the 70s was different than it had been in the past. He didn't believe society could be cured that way anymore. He discusses his fellow superheroes. John has no political bias. I love the whole red ants or black ants thing. I don't know if 
everybody read this section. He asks the guy, do you prefer red ants or black ants? And the guy says that he doesn't know what he means. And he says, basically, that's how John looks at politics as like being so small and mm-hmm. uh, inconsequential yeah. that it doesn't really matter to him. Rorschach sees things too black and white, huh? And the comedian had a different view from Ozymandias and that they never, ever got along. Which is kind of weird because it makes me wonder, so is this all just like, did it start off as like a pissing contest between the two of them? Thoughts? Well, I think they're very similar, but at the same time, they're almost like at different ends of the spectrum. Where like, they both kind of see humanity as not being able to be saved. And the comedian thinks that that's a big joke, but Adrian's trying to find some way around that. Well said. And the next chapter. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I'm blanking. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, so that's chapter 11. Say goodnight, everybody. Bye. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.